In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Tonight, we'll study chapter 3 from the Gospel of St. Luke. Uh, the outline of the chapter, from verse 1 to 6, St. John the Baptist prepares the way. Then from 7 to 20, St. John the Baptist preaches to the people. Then 21 and 22, St. John the Baptist uh, baptizes our Lord Jesus Christ. Then the last uh, verses from 23 to 38, the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Uh, Luke. Verse 1. Now, in the 15th year, of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Etoria, and the region of Traconitis, and Licinius, tetrarch of Abilene. While Annas and Cleophas were high priests. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. So, the opening of the main narrative here is characteristic of St. Luke because he carefully set the ministry of St. John the Baptist in historical context. And he did the same in chapter 2 when he spoke about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it was the, a characteristic of St. Luke writing to tell us about the historical context in which the event that he is mentioning happened. So the names of the rulers of any regions that were affected directly or indirectly by the events which he narrates, he mentions them. He first situates the beginning of St. John the Baptist ministry during the reign of political leaders, then during the rule of religious leaders. As you noticed, he mentioned five political leaders, and after this, he mentioned two religious leaders. He started by the Roman emperor, Tiberius Caesar, who succeeded actually Augustus uh, in year 14 AD, so that we get the date 29 AD, as the commencement or the beginning of St. John the Baptist ministry, six months before the Lord Jesus Christ started his ministry. Then he mentioned Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, he had entered in his office in year 26 AD, and he was the Roman commander of Judea, Samaria, and Idumea. And he remained in his office 
from year 26 to year 36, about 10 years. Then he mentioned Herod. This Herod is Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great, who was alive during the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who killed the innocent children of Bethlehem. Herod Antipas is the one who beheaded John the Baptist. And also during the trial of our Lord Jesus Christ, Pontius Pilate, when he knew that the Lord Jesus Christ originated from Galilee, he sent him to Herod because Herod was the tetrarch of Galilee. Judea or Judah, sorry, Judah was divided into four regions. The word tetrarch means a ruler of one fourth part of a country, Rob'a. And it was later applied to the rule of subordinate prince, as in the case of Herod's younger sons, Herod Antipas and Herod Philip. So those actually because they considered subordinate, so they got the title of Tetrarch. Abilene was a territory northwest of Damascus, ruled by an ally of Rome named Lysianus. So after John mentioned all the political leaders, now he is, will mention the religious leaders. So the ministry of St. John the Baptist was during the reign of Judea's religious leaders, of the high priest Annas and his son-in-law Joseph Cleophas. And these two high priests, also our Lord Jesus Christ, was tried before both of them. So the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in wilderness, as we read. The word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. Wilderness, where he had been brought up and lived. He lived all his life until he appeared to uh, Jerusalem or to the Jews uh, in wilderness. And wilderness from where he came preaching. John by starting his ministry, he began to fulfill his ultimate calling, ultimate calling, to be a forerunner of the Messiah. Forerunner means the one who runs in front of, the one who runs before, the one who prepares the way for the Messiah. We call him the forerunner in Arabic, as-sabiq, as-sabiq. Verse 3, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. So, 
Saint John had lived a solitary life. He did not learn his doctrine from men, but his mission, his ministry, baptism, he learned all of this from heaven. And definitely the reputation of John the Baptist preceded the divine call. People heard about him and his family. He was the son of a very well-known family, Zachariah and Elizabeth. And the marvelous circumstances around his birth, his mother was barren, and Zachariah and Elizabeth were advanced in their ages. Also, the vision that Zachariah saw in the temple, the muteness for nine months of Zachariah. So all these events were in the mind of the people. Also, his ascetic manner of life from the beginning, all this had contributed to make him very distinguished. So when he left his solitary life, we read in other Gospels how the multitudes came forth to hear the ex extraordinary, fiery, and powerful words. Came to listen for him the divine eloquence of one long looked upon by the people as set part for a great work. So people, they knew that John the Baptist, God separated him for a great work. They knew this from the time of his birth. So God will send a message through him. That's why when he came out of his solitary life, actually people start to go to him in many numbers. John came and preached baptism of repentance. There was nothing strange about the ceremony of baptism itself. It was practiced. Purification through water was known. But the strange thing here, that the Jews submitted to this baptism. Why this was strange? Because baptism was a common ritual for the Gentiles who wanted to become Jews in religion, not for the Jews. So for a Jew to submit to baptism as if he was saying, I am as bad as the heathen Gentile who worship idols. But we saw that many people went to be baptized by John. And this was a true mark of humble repentance and radical rededication to the Lord. They rededicated their life to God. It is calling sinners of all descriptions to repentance by confessing their sins, permitting the repentant to the baptism. So then John was preaching everybody to repent, and those who came repenting and confessing their sins, he baptized them. 
So the message of St. John the Baptist was a call to repentance. So he came preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet saying, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. St. John, as we will study together today, emphasizes the importance of bearing fruit befitting repentance. Because some people think that repentance is mostly about feelings. Just I feel sorry for my sin. Yes, it is good to feel sorry about the sin. But repentance is not just feeling. There is action involved too. That's why St. John asked the people to make a change of their mind and to make a change of their behavior, not only to feel sorry for their sins. Actually, repentance in Greek is metanoia. Metanoia is two words. Meta means to change. Noia means mind, from the word nous. So repent literally means change of mind, change of purpose, and implying piety and regret. Repentance is not only sorrow in the heart. And it seems that John the, the Baptist mainly he preached and taught in the Jordan Valley. Uh, why in the Jordan Valley? It was convenient for his candidate to be baptized in the Jordan River. Definitely he did not confine his preaching to one spot only or to one neighborhood. Actually, the district that was called the Jordan Valley was 150 miles in length. So John was preaching in all this area. And the expectation of the Messiah for centuries had been the root of all true life in Israel. All these 5,000 years before the coming of the Messiah, people were waiting for Christ to come. John's ministry was to proclaim repentance and baptism in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. How he would prepare the people for the Messiah? By repentance, by calling them to repent. St. Luke further emphasizes the nature of John's divine call by quoting from the book of Isaiah. John, for, uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 to 5. So, St. Luke wanted to say 
This prophecy in Isaiah 40 was fulfilled in the person of St. John the Baptist. The same prophecy was also quoted in Matthew, Mark, and John. Matthew chapter 3, Mark chapter 1, and John chapter 1. But all other Gospels quote only verses 3 from Isaiah 40 relating to St. John ministry. But St. Luke actually mentioned the whole prophecy, verses 3, 4, and 5 from Isaiah 40. And John here is set out as the forerunner to Christ. Forerunner, the one who is running before Christ to prepare the way for him. So, what the prophecy says? The prophecy says, a voice of one crying in the wilderness. So John was the voice of Christ. Prepare the way of the Lord. That's what John was saying. Prepare the way of the Lord. Repent. Make his path straight. So the imagery here, like unpaved road. So this road has bumps and ditches. So how to, to make this road straight? He said, every valley, valley is like a ditch, shall be filled. And every mountain and hill brought low. So the valley will be filled, the mountain and the hills will be brought low, and the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth. Rough ways like unpaved roads. So these rough ways will be smooth. Then and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So, by preparing the way of the people, he filled up ditches, the valleys, thrown down hills to make the rough ways smooth and every path to prepare the way for God. Who are the valleys? The valleys are the humble people. God will lift them up. Who are the mountain and hills? The prideful. God actually will brought them law. Who are the crooked people? Those who are sneaky like the serpents. God will change their hearts and they will have a straightforward heart. And who are those who like rough ways? Those who are harsh in their nature, in their attitude. God will smoothen their heart. So every person will be ready for the coming of the Messiah. The image here is a simple one. And in the East, this image is very well-known image. Until now, actually, when king or president or great princes are coming, 
especially with armies, they usually have some coming before them as pioneer to pave the way for them, for runners to prepare the way, way. by leveling rough places, removing whatever is in the way of their pathway, filling up holes and ditches. And usually, these kings are not very far from the pioneers. So they follow them at a short distance. So John the Baptist, when he started, means Jesus, the Messiah, is coming very soon. And this is what happened. His, Jesus started his ministry six months after the ministry of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist in his ministry, he was awakening the sleeping conscience of the people. That's why this part was concluded by this beautiful verse. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. As princes that have wilderness to pass through have more need of their pioneers to prepare and smooth their ways. So the state of the Jews being now confused as the wilderness, the hearts of the Jews of Israel like wilderness, corrupt above measure. So John the Baptist here was sent to cry in the wilderness of Israel, in the wilderness of these hearts, to call them to repent, so all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So when this preparation is complete, then the Messiah shall appear publicly. John the Baptist faithfully performed his work as a pioneer, as forerunner of Christ. His message of warning prepared the hearts, at least of the crowds who gathered around Jesus as he preached. All these crowds that followed Jesus, actually they heard St. John the Baptist first. Verse 7, Then he said to the multitudes, that came out to be baptized by him. Brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So the coming of the multitudes in great numbers did not please St. John the Baptist. He was not after numbers. He was after quality. He did not consider these great numbers as a success of his ministry because he wanted practical repentance that comes from true faith. And it is strange actually to start a sermon by saying brood of vipers. As St. John started his sermon here. But St. John wasn't interested in preaching soft message or preaching to itching ears. John, John the Baptist wanted to shake them. That's why he started by saying, 
broods of vipers. Vipers is the worst and most dangerous kind of serpent. So St. John is liking, likening these people to the vipers. Because vipers actually, these serpents harm the people and they are fatal. So he's saying to them, your behavior and your attitude is harmful to others. You are like vipers. Also, he was referring to their hypocrisy. Their hypocrisy that turned the religion into evil. They had deadly malice under appearance of zeal and godliness and righteousness. So the metaphor of the vipers here also was taken from the desert, the wilderness. And uh, this actually was the language of uh, Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament, which St. John actually came to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. So he told them, Prudes of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Wrath to come? Are we expecting salvation through the Messiah or wrath? That's the question here. We are expecting salvation. You are the forerunner for the Messiah. Why you are telling us about wrath to come? Actually, the Jews had been taught by prophecies that the advent of the Messiah will preceded by time of anguish. And they called this time the woes of the Messiah. As we read in Malachi chapter two, verse chapter three, verse two. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, unlike launderer's soap. So such prophecies received their primary fulfillment at the destruction of Jerusalem with the coming of Christ. And after his ascension, Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed in the year 70. But also, there is another fulfillment before the second coming of Christ, as we read in the book of Revelation. Then he told them, verse 8, Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. So then John did not stop at preaching repentance. And he became satisfied that the people came and be baptized. But he insisted on the importance of bearing fruit suitable to their repentance. 
with repentance, there has to be reformation in all their life, in their behavior, in their conduct. So, St. John wanted to root out their prejudice and to give them this simple truth that true repentance always, always will have fruit. <coughs> what is the basic fruit? The basic fruit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, as we read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. That's why 1 Corinthians chapter 13 speaks about love. Then he warned them, don't be deceived that you are children of Abraham. Don't say you have Abraham as our father. These words show that John had great courage to strike boldly at the pride of the Jews. They were very prideful. They considered themselves better than any other nation. We are the children of Abraham. And even with the Lord Jesus Christ, they told him, we are not children of adultery, we are children of Abraham. And because of this, the Jews believed that none of them would be lost. None of them would be lost because they are the children of Abraham. But St. John the Baptist is teaching here, we should not trust in being a member of a big church, being rank in the deacons, being a servant in the church, or being known by some uh, leaders in the church, or I have an external privilege. God wants repentance. All this connection will, will not benefit you. All these titles will not benefit you. God desires repentance, change of the heart, and to bear fruit suitable for your repentance. So he told them, God can raise from these stones children of Abraham. And the same point was made by the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 8. So, who are the children of Abraham? The children of Abraham are not the physical children or the children according to the flesh. But the true children of Abraham are those who live like Abraham, who have the faith of Abraham, who have the works of Abraham. The Jews do not behave as children of Abraham. They, not, they did not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They did not submit their life to God as Abraham. So he told them, God can create from these stones. Who are the stones? The stones refer to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, because they have hardened hearts, their hearts like stones. So God told them, you say you are the children of Abraham, but God can make from the stony heart 
of the Gentiles through children of Abraham. Then he told them in verse 9, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He told them, you need to bear fruits. If you are not bearing fruit, then this tree will be cut down and will be thrown into the fire. So, as if he is telling them, the patience of God is very near to, uh, very near come to an end with respect to you. And his judgment, judgment is at hand, ready to be put forth. So, if you continue unfruitful, despite your connection with Abraham, this means actually destruction will speedily overtake you. Apparently, the words of John the Baptist were touched the heart of the people. So we start to see response here. So the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? I hope after every liturgy, after every sermon, after every whisper, we should ask the same question. What shall I do? You know, Paul, after he met the Lord Jesus Christ on the road of, to Damascus, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? What shall we do? That's a very important question. So uh, people start to say, what shall we do? They demonstrated genuine repentance. They want to bear these fruits. John told them, bring forth fruit appropriate to repentance, lead life to show that your repentance is genuine. So now actually they ask this question. Those who want to live according to the law of God and how to treat our brethren, then what are the fruits? The fruits will be love, mercy, respect, justice. So, many groups asked John, and for each group, John gave one answer. But the common denominator in all these answers is mercy. As if mercy is the general virtue, and it is the essential principle to follow and to be practiced by all. So, let us see. When they told him, what shall we do? He, he answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he has food, let him do likewise. So the advice here, sharing, be merciful. Don't be selfish. Selfishness is the root of all evil. Uh, you cannot conquer selfishness by just emotions only. I feel uh, for others. I love others. No. But by acts of unselfishness. And he gave them a very simple and practical advice. 
if you have two tunic, give one to whoever doesn't have. So the whole teaching of St. John was very, very practical. And if you have food and your brother is hungry, share your food with him. Then tax collector also came to be baptized and said to John, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Collect no more than what's appointed for you. So, let's understand the system of the Romans. The Romans want to collect the taxes from the people. So, for example, if they wanted to collect taxes from this city, the taxes from this city, for example, in their mind, should be this amount, $1,000, for example. So, they make an auction. Who will pay more? So, person will say, I will pay $1,000, 2000 5000 until actually they get the highest bidder. So the government now took the taxes and they gave authority to the person actually who bid the highest bid to collect as much money as he has, as he can from the people. For example, if he bid $10,000, he can collect up 100,000, 200. There is no limit. That's why, actually, the tax collectors were hated. They were merciless. They were violent, greedy, took money by any means from the people and the government were supporting them. So here actually the tax collector were convinced under the ministry of St. John that what they were doing was evil. They wanted to repent. They wanted actually to be baptized. So they asked, what shall we do in order to escape this divine punishment? So St. John did not see tax collecting is evil in itself. Otherwise, he would have told them, quit your job. He did not ask them to quit their job, but to conduct themselves honestly. That's why he told them, don't collect no more than what is appointed for you. Be honest in your job. Then the soldiers Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Three commandments. Do not intimidate anyone by your authority. Don't accuse falsely. Be content with your wages. But whose soldiers? Some think these were Gentile soldiers because it doesn't look uh, like that the Roman would employ the Jews to be soldiers in their own country. 
the Romans wouldn't do this to appoint the two Jews to be soldiers in Judea. However, it is more probable that they were Jews in the pay of the Romans who belonged to Herod, the governor of Galilee. So another area, either in, in Galilee or uh, belonging to Philip of Etoria, whose dominions lay very near to the place where John was baptizing. Or maybe some heard about John the Baptist, so he, they came from far areas. And hearing John pressing the importance of repentance and the importance of bringing forth fruit that might testify the truth of their repentance, they asked, what should we do? So they were commanded to exhibit attitude of restraint, self-control, don't intimidate, truthfulness, don't falsely accuse anybody, and contentment, be content with your wages. Because what is the temptation of the soldier? The temptation of the soldier is to terrify the poor by violence, authority, or to undermine the riches by acting as informant about them and they can falsely accuse them. That's why he told them, don't abuse your authority. And again, John the Baptist did not ask the soldiers to abandon their job, to quit their job, but to serve God in it. So the reason here is clear. You can remain in your job as long as you fear God and you serve God in it. What counts is the way in which the work is done, faithfully, honestly, according to the law of God. Verse 15. Now as the people were in expectation, and all reasoned expectation of the Messiah, and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not. John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to lose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So, John's call to repentance was through the ritual of water purification. And he warned the people of the divine judgment. And this reminded the people with the prophecies about the Messiah, like in Ezekiel 36 and in Malachi chapter 3. Also, the extraordinary success of John's preaching, of how many people came to him, repented, wanted to be baptized. This made many people wonder, is this a Messiah? Is he the Christ whom we are waiting and expecting? And such impression reached Jerusalem. As we read in the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, verse 24, that the Pharisees sent a delegation 
to ascertain the facts, whether John is the Messiah or not. But John, in his honesty, he wanted to invalidate this growing conviction. He wanted to tell them clearly, I am not the Messiah. So he started to tell them, there is another coming after me who is far greater than me. And John, he told them, yes, I baptized you, but this baptism is just a symbolic one. Will not purify you. It's a baptism of water only. But the one who will come after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So my ministry is to stir your heart to repentance, to arouse you to change your life. But the one coming after me, whom I am unworthy to stand and perform the humblest lowly task to lose the thunder strap, this one will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What about losing the strap of his thunder? It was considered that it is very, very humiliating to ask somebody to lose the strap of your thunder. So even the religious leaders of the Jews taught that a teacher can ask anything from his followers, from his students, from his disciples, except a teacher, a religious teacher, cannot ask a disciple to take off his sandals. This was considered too humiliating to demand. But John here is saying, even this act, I am not worthy to do it. I am not worthy to do the most humiliating act to the Lord Jesus Christ. John actually had many reasons to be proud. He had a miraculous birth. He is the forerunner of Christ. He, the one who is called to fulfill many promises and prophecies. He's a powerful preacher, has great followers. But in spite of all of this, he was very humble. He told them, the one coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And this was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended like tongues of fire. And also, the, it is a fulfillment of the prophecy about the purifying and refining characteristic of the Messiah. Verse 17. His winnowing fan is in his hand and will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So verse 17 is echoing verse 9, speaking about the divine judgment. What is the winnowing fan? Winnowing fan is fork-like instrument, like a fork, huge. 
that was used to separate the wheat grains from the uneatable chaff. And the threshing floor was the flat area where the harvested grain was collected and gathered. Then the wheat by this fan was thrown into the air with the winnowing fork. As the breeze blew away the chaff, so the chaff will be blown away, and the good wheat will fall to the ground. The unwanted chaff will be burned and destroyed. So this imagery uh, about the burning of the chaff is a very old one in the Old Testament and New Testament. It's the image of the judgment in which God will separate the righteous from the wicked. And the burning the chaff is about the final destruction. The Messiah has the authority to separate and judge the righteous from the wicked. He will put the righteous on his right side and the wicked on his left side. Verse 18, and with many other exhortation, he preached to the people. Many other exhortation relating to the Messiah, to his person, to his office, to the nature of his kingdom, to the gospel dispensation, to faith in him. So he spoke to people about many things about the Messiah. And John pointed him, the Messiah, to the people and exhorted them to believe in him, to follow him. And he expressed much joy and pleasure to hear that he increases and John decreases. And he preached to the people, meaning he's spreading the gospel, the good news, the glad tidings of the Messiah coming soon, his life, his righteousness, and his salvation. So this verse actually concluded the ministry of St. John. Then there are two important uh, two verses in the Bible study of tonight. But Herod the Tetrarch, being rebuked by him, by John, concerning Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, also added this, added to all his evils, another evil, above all that he shut John up in prison. So, Luke, he gave a brief summary of John's uh, ministry, uh, but now he is not posing to tell us the story of the death of John the Baptist. But just he want to tell us how Herod was very wicked and what is considered the worst of all his crimes. The worst of all his crimes that he placed, he put John in the prison. So verse 19 and 20, Look forward to the John's arrest by Herod Antipas, which later resulted in his death, which occurred actually after the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. Herod the Tetrarch is the son of Herod the Great and brother of Archelaus 
and he was the third king of the family of Herod. He was a very wicked man, and he took the wife of his brother Philip while he was alive to become his own wife. John here, who is priest, son of the priest, he rebuked Herod for this and for many other evils, and because of this, Herod uh, beheaded uh, John the Baptist. And because John made such a bold stand for the truth, Herod, who was immersed in immorality, punished him by first he put him in prison, then he killed him. The word added this, added this. So, all the Jews and St. Luke regarded the treatment of John the Baptist by Herod Antipas is the worst of all his crimes. And this was the reason of his subsequent defeat and disgrace. This actually concludes our Bible study tonight. I will give a quick summary in Arabic. أدي ملخص بالعربي للعشرين آية اللي احنا درسناهم من إصحاح ثلاثة. لؤة في إنجيله دائما يحط التواريخ علشان نعرف الحدث حصل إمتى. ففي إصحاح اثنين قبل ميلاد المسيح قال لنا مين كان الولاء علشان نقدر نتخيل الحدث بتاع ميلاد المسيح حصل انت هنا برضو في إصحاح ثلاثة هيكلمنا على كرازة يوحنا المعمدان فعرفنا الأحداث أول حاجة قال في السنة الخامسة عشر من سلطنة تيباريوس قيصر قيصر ده الإمبراطور اللي كان عايش في روما وتيباريوس ده اللي جه بعد أغسطس قيصر ففي السنة الخمستاشر من سلطنة تيباريوس قيصر كانت اليهودية متقسمة لأربع تربع بيلاطس البنطي كان والي على اليهودية يعني كل منطقة إسرائيل كانت متقسمة لأربع تربع فبيلاطس البنطي كان والي على اليهودية هيرودس ده مش هيرودس اللي كان موجود أيام ميلاد المسيح اللي قتل أطفال باللحم لا ده ابنه هيرودس أنتباس ده كان رئيس ربع على الجليل واخد الجليل اللي هو في الشمال يعني بلاطس في الجنوب وهيرودس في الشمال وفيلوبس اللي هو أخو هيرودس ده كان رئيس ربع على إيتورية وكورة تراخونيتس والجزء الرابع لسانيوس رئيس ربع على الأبيلي بالطريقة دي احنا عرفنا الزمن اللي يوحنا المعمدان ابتدى فيه الخدمة بتاعته وزي ما مفسر الكتاب المقدس قال هو ابتدى في سنة 29 لأن هو ابتدى ست شهر قبل السيد المسيح وبعد ما قال مين القادة السياسيين قال لنا مين القادة الدينيين فقال في أيام رئيس الكهنة حنان وقيافة حنان وقيافة ودولت الاثنين اللي وقف قصادهم السيد المسيح يتحاكم 
ومن القادة السياسيين وقف قصاد بلاطس البنطي وهيرودس اللي هو في الجليل كانت كلمة الله على يوحنا ابن زكريا في البرية يوحنا عاش طول عمره في البرية فلم يتعلم من بشر ولكن تعلم من الله مباشرة تعلم من السماء مباشرة وهنا ربنا خلاه يبقى في البرية رمز إلى قلوب بني إسرائيل اللي كانت زي البرية زي الصحراء ما فيهاش مياه الروح القدس مليانة بالخطية قلوب زي الحجارة فجت كلمة ربنا ليوحنا ابن زكريا في البرية فخرج من البرية وراح إلى جميع الكورة المحيطة بالأردن يكرز بمعمودية التوبة لمغفرة الخطايا فجه حوالين نهر الأردن وابتدى في المنطقة دي يكرز ليه اختار نهر الأردن عشان يعمد والمنطقة دي كانت حوالي 150 ميل المعمودية كانت معروفة كان حتى من زمان أيام المرحدة النحاسية فالناس خدت على التطهير بخلال المية لكن الغريب هنا أنه بيكرز لليهود كانت المعمودية بتقام للأمم اللي هم مش يهود لما يحبوا يتبعوا الديانة اليهودية لكن أن يهودي يقبل أنه يتعمد ده معناه أكنه بيقول أنا إنسان وحش زي الأمم اللي بيعبدوا الأصنام طبعا مع كبريائهم صعب أن حد يقول الكلام ده ولكن كرازة يوحنا أثرت في هذه القلوب الحجرية وغيرتها وخلتهم يأتوا إلى معمودية التوبة لمغفرة الخطايا علشان كده كان كرازة يوحنا توبوا لأنه قد اقترب ملكوت السماوات يوحنا تمت عليه النبوة المكتوبة في أشعية النبي صوت صارخ في البرية برية العالم كله غياب الروح القدس حول العالم كله إلى البرية ويوحنا ده هو صوت للمسيح الذي جاء ليصرخ في برية العالم أعدوا طريق الرب المخلص جاي عدوا للطريق زي لما يكون الريس جاي فيروح الناس قبل الريس يجهزوا الطريق لو الطرق مش متسفلتة يسفلتوها ويوضبوها يجهزوا الطريق فيوحنا جه وقال اجعلوا طريق الرب مستقيم اصنعوا سبله مستقيما وبعدين ادانا حاجة جميلة يقول كل واد يمتلئ خليت نتخيل طريق كده لو طريق فيه مطبات الوادي دي الحاجة المنخفضة هيملوها وكل جبل وأكمة ينخفض ولو طريق فيه مرتفعات يشيلوها يسووها عشان تبقى الطريق مستوي وتصير المعوجات مستقيمة والطرق الملتوية يبتدي يوضبوها عشان تبقى مستقيمة والشعاب طرقا سهلة 
زي المدق كده فالمدق ده لما تيجي تسوق على مدق العربية كده ما تبقاش مرتاحة أبدا فيسفلتوها طب إيه معنى الكلام ده الوادي اللي هم المتواضعين جاء المسيح ليرفع المتواضعين أنزل الأعزاء عن الكراسي ورفع المتواضعين فالوادي رفعوا زي العذراء مريم ويوحنا المعمدان والجبل والأكمة زي رؤساء الكهنة والقادة الدينيين خلاهم ينخفضوا المعوجات الناس اللي كانوا زي قادة الدينيين اللي بيعوجوا الوصية من أجل منفعتهم الشخصية ربنا كلمهم علشان يتوبوا قال لهم الويل لكم أيها الكتب والفريسيون المراؤون والشعاب القلب الحجري اللي عامل زي الصحراء القلب ده تحول بقي مكان راحة لربنا يقول هذا هو موضع راحتي ها هنا أسكن لأني أردته فجي يوحنا المعمدان يعمل ده يعمله إزاي اللي يخلي الجبال تنخفض والوديان ترتفع وتمتلئ والمعوجات تصير مستقيمة والشعاب طرق سهلة التوبة وبالتوبة يبصر كل بشر خلاص الله كل إنسان يتمتع بهذا الخلاص يوحنا المعمدان كان معروف وسمعوا الناس عنه ميلاده المعجزي أمه كانت عاقر وأبو أمه متقدمين في السن وزكريا شاف رؤية في الهيكل وقعد صامت تسعة أشهر كل ده كان في ذهن الناس مش كده أول ما خرج يوحنا المعمدان يخدم جموع راحت له لكن يوحنا ما كانش فرحان بالعدد يوحنا كان عايز القلوب تتغير من جوه مش فرحان ان الجموع وراه عايز قلوب تتغير فكان يقول للجموع الذين خرجوا ليعتمدوا منه يا أولاد الأفاعي تخيل واحد تدع عزة أول ما بيبتيها بيقول يا أولاد الأفاعي طبعا دي مش بجيني مش, مش بداية العزة لكن ليه يوحنا جي كده لأن كانت القلوب قاسية مليانة بالخطية كان محتاجين ان حد كده يفوقهم من الخطية اللي هم عايشين فيها فقال لهم عارفين الأفاع دي أسم أنواع الحياة مميتة قاتلة قال لهم انتوا بتضروا بعض زي الأفاعي كده الرياء بتاعكم وتتسطروا وراء الدين عشان تضروا الآخرين ده زي الأفاعي عشان كده المخلص جاي عشان ينزع عنكم هذا السم ويحولكم إلى حملان يا أولاد الأفاعي من أراكم أن تهربوا من الغضب الآتي يا يوحنا احنا مفكرين هتكلمنا عن المخلص اللي هيخلصنا جاي بتكلمنا عن الغضب اه لان مجيء المسيح الاول والتاني كان معاه غضب مجيء الاول كان معاه غضب على اورشليم يا اورشليم يا اورشليم يا قاتلة الانبياء وراجمة المرسلين اليها كم من مرة اردت ان اجمع بنيكي 
تحت كما تجمع الدجاجه فراخ تحت جناحيها ولم تريدوا هو بيتكم يترك لكم خرابا فعلا اورشليم اتهدد سنه سبعين والهيكل اتهد ولم يبنى حتى الان والنبوات كانت بتقول كده فعشان كده قال لهم انتوا جايين بتقدموا توبه شكليه ولا توبه حقيقيه انتوا جايين عشان تهربوا من الغضب بس بطريقه شكليه لا لو بطريقه شكليه مش هتهرب من الغضب لازم تكون التوبه حقيقيه عشان تهرب من الغضب الاتي وتنال خلاص الله فقال لهم اصنعوا اثمارا طليق بالتوبه اصنعوا هنا ده مبدا روحي كل ما تروح تعترف اسال نفسك هل انا عندي ثمر يليق بالتوبه هل حياتي اتغيرت ولا لا لو حياتي ما اتغيرتش تبقى التوبه بتاعتي شكليه والاعتراف بتاعي شكلي كل مره بتيجي تتناول اسال نفسك هل عندي ثمر يليق بالتوبه ولا لا هل عملت اعمال طليق بالتوبه ولا لا بعدين قال لهم لا تبتدئوا تقولون في انفسكم لنا ابراهيم ابا حين الواحد يعتمد يقول لك انا اعرف سيدنا فلان واعرف ابونا فلان وانا مش عارف مين بيكلمني او انا خادم في المدينه الكبيره الفلانيه ديا او انا خادم في الكنيسه ديا او انا رتبتي كذا انا عضو في مجلس الكنيسه انا كذا كل ده مش هيفيدك لا الالقاب ولا المراكز ولا المعرفه كل ده هيفيدك في اليوم الاخير لا اللي هيفيدك في اليوم الاخير ثمر التوبه اصنعوا اثمارا طريق بالتوبه قال لهم انت بتقول ابراهيم ابونا بس ان كنتم ابناء ابراهيم افعلوا اعمال ابراهيم ثم ابناء ابراهيم الحقيقيين هم الذين لهم ايمان ابراهيم ولهم اعمال ابراهيم مش كده قال لهم لان اقول لكم ان الله قادر ان يقيم من هذه الحجاره اولادا لابراهيم انا حجاره الامم اللي هم غير اليهود كان قلبهم زي الحجاره لكن لما امنوا بالمسيح صاروا اولاد لابراهيم يعني احنا المؤمنين اولاد ابراهيم حسب الروح وحسب الوعد وكثير من اولاد ابراهيم حسب الجسد لان هم امنوش من المسيح بقوا مرفوضين فمن هم اولاد ابراهيم الذين يعملون اعمال ابراهيم وحذرهم تاني قال لهم الان قد وضعت الفاس على اصل الشجر قال لهم انتوا ناس مزارعين لما تكون عندك شجره ما بتعملش ثمر جيد هتعمل ايه هتلقيها في النار تقطعها وتلقيها في النار هكذا ربنا عايز ياخد ثمر جيد منك لو ما فيش ثمر جيد الكل شجره لا تصنع ثمرا جيدا تقطع وتلقى في النار هذه الكلمات الناريه من يوحنا المعمدان غيرت قلوب الناس ما زعلوش منه ما لوش تبتشتمنا وتلنا يا اولاد الافاعي بالعكس عرف ان يوحنا خايف عليهم فساله الجموع ماذا نفعل نعمل ايه ايه الثمر اللي مطلوب مننا احنا عايزين تكون توبتنا حقيقيه ايه الثمر اللي مطلوب مننا وده سؤال مهم يعني يا ريت بعد كل قداس بعد كل عظه بعد كل قرايه كتاب مقدس بعد كل اعتراف اسال نفسك ماذا افعل لازم تاخد درس عملي تطبقه في حياتك لما 
بولس قابل السيد المسيح في الطريق إلى دمشق قال له ماذا تريد مني يا رب أن أفعل كل يوم الصبحية قال له يا رب ماذا تريد مني أن أفعل ماذا أفعل فجاوبهم قال لهم بص هو ربنا عايز مننا إيه الثمر هي ثمرة المحبة ثمرة الرحمة قال له لو عندك ثوبين وأخوك عريان وانت ما تتلوش ثوب يبقى ما تبتش فاللي عنده ثوبان يعطي من ليس له ولو عندك أكل وأخوك جعان شارك معاه خلي قلبك رحيم ومن له طعام فليفعل هكذا لو ما عملتش ده ما بقاش عندك رحمة ما بقاش عندك توبة كلمات هزت الناس فجلوا ناس عشرون عشرون اللي هم بيجمعوا الضرائب والضرائب عشان أفهمكم طريقة الضرائب كانت الدولة الرومانية تعمل مزاد مين يدفع الضرائب فمثلا لو ضرائب المدينة دي ألف دولار فأنا أقول هدفع ألفين ثلاثة خمسة عشرة يرسل مزاد على أعلى واحد فأنا دفعت عشر تلاف دولار وخدت دفعت ضرائب المدينة يدوني الحق على كل المدينة دي أجمع فلوس زي ما أنا عايز عشان كده كانوا قصا جدا كانوا مكروهين وكانوا طمعين فالعشرين لما سمعوا الكلام ده وجيين عشان يعتمدوا قالوا له يا معلم ماذا نفعل احنا عارفين احنا بنعمله ده غلط نعمل ايه فقال لهم لا تستوفوا اكثر مما فرد لكم ما يبقاش قلبك يعني قاسي وطماع وخلي بالك ما لهمش سيبوا الشغلانة دي ما فيش شغلانة نقول عليها وحشة إلا الشغلانة التي تغضب الله أي شغلانة أنا بغضب فيها ربنا تبقى وحشة لكن لو شغلانة أسير فيها بمخافة ربنا فلو الإنسان اللي بيجمع الضرائب ده بيجمع الضرائب بمخافة ربنا يبقى حاجة كويسة مين راح له تاني الجنود قالوا له إحنا نفعل إيه دايما الجنود بالأثورتي بتاعتهم ممكن يخوفوا الناس أو يعملوا بلاغات كاذبة عن الناس يعني يلبسوهم كده قضايا وممكن يكونوا طمعين فادهم ثلاث وصايا قال لهم لا تظلموا أحد انت جندي مفروض كجندي بتدافع عن حق الناس فما تستخدمش السلطة بتاعتك عشان تظلم حد ولا تاش وما تعملش وشاية على حد ما تلبش حد قضية وهو يكون مظلوم واكتفوا بعلائفكم المرتبات بتاعتكم أشكر خليه عندك قناعة أشكر ربنا عليها اوعى تستخدم السلطة بتاعتك وتخوف الناس وتجمع من الناس فلوس طبعا التعليم ده بهر الناس فالناس قاعدة وتقول هو مين ده هو ده المسيح هو ده المسيا يوحنا الحقيقة أول ما لقى الجموع بتتكلم عنه على إنه هو المسيا قال لا أنا مش جاي علشان أضل الناس لازم أعرفهم الحقيقة فرح قال لهم أنا أعمدكم بماء دي حاجة رمزية الماء دي مش تغفر الخطايا دي حاجة رمزية ولكن من يأتي ولكن يأتي من هو أقوى مني وهنا بقى ابتدى يشير على المسيح 
أنا مش المسيا أنا جاي بهيئ الطريق جاي بقى اللي أقوى مني اللي أنا كان يعتبر أحقر حاجة واحد يفك السيور بتاع حزاء حد فيوحنا قال الذي لست أهلا أن أحل سيور حزائه يعني أنا مش مش مستحق أعمل أحقر حاجة ممكن تتعمل غير مستحق ليه أنا عمدتكم بمية هو هيعمدكم بالروح القدس ونار وده اللي حصل يوم الخمسين لما حل الروح القدس على ألسنة نار وبعدين أكد تاني موضوع الدينونة المسيح جاي عشان يخلص ولكن رسم يوما للمجازاة الذي فيه يدين المسكونة بالعدل فشبه الدينونة في يوم الدينونة زي ما نعرف متى 25 المسيح حط الخراف على يمينه والجداء على يساره الأبرار على يمينه والأشرار على يساره فكرة الفرز بين الأشرار والأبرار هناك كانوا مزارعين كلهم فابتدأ يشبه لهم من الكالتشر بتاعتهم يعني إيه يفرز حاجة عن حاجة قالهم أنت لما بتجمع الأمح لما بتجمعوه وتحطوه في البيادر البيادر ده هو الأمح اللي هم جمعوه قبل ما يفرزوه الرفش ده شوكة كبيرة جدا فالشوكة الكبيرة دي يروح واخد بيها الأمح ونطره في الهوى ياخد الأمح وينطره في الهوى كده فلما ينطر الأمح في الهوى القش التبن اللي هو بيغطي الأمح دي يطير في الهوى والحباية تنزل تاني على الأرض فبيفصل التبن أو القش ده عن الأمح فقال المسيح كده جاي والشوكة دي رفشه في يده سينقي بيضره العالم ده اللي فيه الأبرار مع الأشرار هيجمع القمح إلى مخزنه الأبرار هيوديهم ملكوت السماوات أما التب الأشرار يحرقه بنار لا تطفى فابتدي هنا عايز يقولهم توبوا وبأشياء أخرى أخر كثيرة كان يعز الشعب ويبشرهم كان بيكلم عن المسيح مين شخصية المسيح ديا هيجي يعمل ايه ارسلته الخلاص النبوات لأن يوحنا كان عايز الناس تتبعه تتبع المسيح مش كده قال ينبغي أن ذاك يزيد وإني أنا أنقص يوحنا كان قوي في الحق كان عايز الكل يتوب عشان كده هيرودس كان إنسان شرير فراح يوحنا يبكته عشان يقوده للتوبة أيضا ولكن هيرودس لم يسمع منه فهيرودس رئيس الربع فاستوبخ منه لسبب هيرودية امرأة فيلوبس أخيه هيرودس فيلوبس كان إخوات فهيرودس راح متجوز هيرودية امرأة أخوه بينما في لبس لسه عايش وأيضا ولسبب جميع الشرور التي كان هيرودس يفعلها فيوحنا وبخه مش بس على موضوع هيرودية ولكن على كل الشرور التي كان يفعلها هيرودس فهيرودس زعل من يوحنا فعمل إيه يقول زاد هذا أيضا على الجميع يعني زاد هذا يعني أكبر خطية وقع فيها هيرودس مش هي هيرودية ولا الشرور إنه أبد على يوحنا لسان الحق هذا 
وحبسوا في السجن وبعد كده قتلوا فهنا كان لقى الإنجيلي وكل اليهود رأوا أن الشر أو أكبر جريمة عملها هيرودس هو القبض على يوحنا يداعوا في السجن وأيضا قتله فيما بعد ده ينهي دراسة الكتاب النهاردة لإلهنا المجد الدائم إلى الأبد آمين